Clara was an accountant and Paul was a mechanic. They fell deeply in love and married. For nine long years they longed to grow their family of two into a family of three, but they couldn't. When they realized they would not have children biologically, they adopted a baby boy they named Stephen Paul. Stephen grew up, graduated from high school, enrolled in college, but his dreams of a career right out of college would have to wait. He didn't have enough money to pay his tuition. Regretfully, he withdrew from college after just one semester. While Steve was growing up, his mechanic father taught him how to work on cars. Steve wasn't very interested in the cars themselves, but he was intrigued by the electronics that made them work. Every weekend, Paul took his son to the junkyard where they rummaged for spare parts. Steve's interest in electronics continued to grow as the days turned into weeks, into months, into years. As Steve's interest grew, Paul opened his garage to his son to give him a space to experiment on electronics. Just seven houses down, an engineer for Hewlett-Packard heard about Steve's interest in acumen in electronics. The neighbor brought Steve gadgets and gizmos to play with. His fourth-grade teacher did the same. They were amazed at this young boy's interest in all things tech. Eventually, their engineer neighbor invited Steve to join the Hewlett-Packard Explorers Club, a group of students who met weekly in the HP cafeteria. There, Steve saw his first desktop computer. It weighed about 40 pounds. But in Steve's words, it was a beauty of a thing. Once when the group needed parts they did not have, Steve thumbed through the phone book and called the CEO of HP to ask for them. They talked for 20 minutes. By the end of that call, the CEO offered Steve an internship. By the time he turned 23 years young, Steve Jobs was worth $1 million. In 1984, he designed the first Macintosh computer. And when he died at the age of 56, his net worth totaled over $10 billion, with a B, dollars. Steve Jobs began working with his blue-collar father in a garage and built an empire worth billions of dollars. Rags-to-riches stories like these inspire us to continue working hard and dreaming harder to see our dreams blossom into reality. These stories are not limited to modern times, though. They happened all throughout history, even in the Bible. And sometimes these stories do not have a happy ending until after the story has been told. And I want to tell you that story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. Welcome back, and welcome to all of our new listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm happy to be your host. You're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Today's episode is stemming from a lesson dated March 26, 2023, and it is entitled, for a season. It's the last lesson of our series on parables, and I love studying these parables. This lesson springs off of a story Jesus told in Luke 16, verse 31. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Who's the he? Who's the him? Well, let's leave the high-tech headquarters of Apple for me to tell you that story. We're going to stroll down a first-century cobblestone street, Soon we come to the end of the block and the envy of the block. The sprawling palatial mansion takes up both sides of the street, a mansion supported by pillars and surrounded by gates. Emblazoned on the side of the mailbox in gold stencil is simply a rich man. 
The sight of this mansion with its fountains and flower gardens takes our breath away. But there is one feature that it just does not fit. It is the rogue brushstroke in this painting the artist brushed. Lying outside the iron gate is a frail beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus was a common name in the first century world. The name Lazarus means God will help, but it doesn't appear God was helping this Lazarus very much. His body was ravaged with a disease that sapped his strength and left sores in its wake. Everything Lazarus owned can be easily stuffed into a duffel bag with plenty of room to spare. Lazarus was dirt poor. The rich man was filthy rich. But Lazarus had more than money could buy. He may not have had two shekels to buy his own bread, but at some point he lifted his eyes higher than this world and realized he needed to get right with God and ready for eternity. Lazarus cried out to God, and God saved Lazarus. Bringing us to our first question for you to ponder. If you were just looking at the station in life of the rich man and Lazarus, whom do you think was more blessed? You don't know the end of the story. You just look at them in life. Which one do you think was more blessed? Now, Scripture records that Lazarus died. He succumbed to his wounds. But there's no mention of him being buried. There was likely no funeral, no preacher to eulogize what a good man he was. In fact, a song was often sung for beggars. Rattle his bones over the stones. He's but a pauper whom nobody owns. Likely, Lazarus was loaded onto a cart hauled to the outskirts of town and thrown into Gehenna with all the trash and bones of other beggars. But Lazarus was right with God and ready for eternity. Since Jesus told this story before he went to Calvary, he told of Lazarus being carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The Jews had precious few heroes they admired more than Abraham, the father of the faithful. Lazarus was able to rest close to the heart of the one he knew was a father. When we repent, we are baptized in Jesus' name. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have heaven to gain. Heaven, where the street is pure gold, is transparent glass. The gates are made of precious pearl, and the walls are made of jasper. That heavenly city is big enough for billions of believers to call heaven home. Lazarus could testify that all the problems that plague us in this life will not even be a memory in heaven. Heaven will be heaven because of who will be there. Jesus, the one who created us and died for us, is preparing a place for us, and he is coming back for us to take us there. We will rest from all of our labors, and with unveiled faces we will finally see Jesus. The one we sing to here we will see there. We will cast our crowns at his feet and join the song of the sainted millions. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5, verse 12. If you want to learn that song, just pick up your holy hymnal and turn to Revelation 5, verse 12. The verses are right there. Bringing us to our next question, and one I really want you to think about. Of course, outside of seeing Jesus, what are you most looking forward to in heaven? Although Lazarus was plagued by sickness and poverty on earth, he was beyond blessed in heaven. But there was another character in this parable whose story must be told. The rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen, the finest fabrics of his day, akin to $5,000 Italian suits and $3,000 alligator shoes today. But his fortune could not fend off the determined hand of death. The entire community came out to pay their respects. His funeral was teeming with his employees, his family, his friends. Some were hoping to get their hands on his money. The preacher assigned to eulogize the rich man could write pages to testify of his business savvy and salesmanship, but he could not write two sentences 
could truthfully tell of his walk with God. While it is true we can have nothing on earth and still have everything in heaven, it is equally true we can have everything on earth and completely miss heaven. Being wealthy doesn't automatically mean we won't be saved, but Jesus was clear that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Matthew 19, verse 24. If God has blessed you with riches, don't trust in riches. Trust in the God who blessed you with those riches to glorify Him and make disciples for Him. Lazarus's rags-to-riches story and the rich man's riches-to-rags story are known as the great reversal. Here's a question. What resources, or for my Canadian friends, what resources can you use today to help make disciples for God's glory? This podcast is a pretty good one. Now, Lazarus's life tells a different story than the one we often hear from radio preachers or TV preachers. God's will is to bless us with what we need on earth, but God is much more interested in us being right with him and ready for heaven. Health and wealth don't always mark God's approval, just as poverty and sickness don't necessarily signal God's disapproval. Even if we or the ones we love battle sickness or they can't seem to pay the bills, that doesn't automatically mean God is displeased. God wants us to be ready for heaven, not just healthy and wealthy on earth. Here's another question. Since many of God's people in the Bible were persecuted and poor, where does this prosperity gospel stem from? Many of us could testify of people who were good stewards in life, of their bodies, of their finances, and still they live paycheck to paycheck or they died after a long battle with disease. A glance at their lives may infer God was displeased with them, therefore he didn't bless them. But the most blessed life cannot be measured by dollars or social media followers. The most blessed life is measured by our obedience to the will of God. When we have been born again and we're living to honor and glorify God, we are abundantly blessed no matter how much or how little we own. In a small town barbershop, there hung a Why Worry poster. It read, and I quote, There are only two reasons to worry. Either you are well or you are sick. If you are well, then there's no need to worry. But if you are sick, there are two reasons to worry. Either you will get well or you will die. If you get well, there's no need to worry. If you die, there are two reasons to worry. Either you will go to heaven or you will go to hell. If you go to heaven, there's no need to worry. But if you go to hell, you'll be so busy shaking hands with friends, you won't have time to worry. End quote. Now that is not the picture Jesus painted of hell in Luke 16. Neither is it how the apostles and prophets described hell. We see a much more grisly picture of hell in this parable and in other passages. When the rich man closed his eyes in death, he opened his eyes in hell. If his money could have bought him access into the presence of God, he would have paid any price. But he made a decision in life to live apart from God, and that decision sentenced him to eternity apart from God. When he looked up, he saw a somewhat familiar man. He knew him from life, but this guy didn't look the same. I know who that is. That's that sick, homeless beggar. The servants called Lazarus, that, that weakened beggar from outside the iron gate. But this time, when he saw him, Lazarus was healed and at rest. But the rich man was in torment. And he called out from the belly of hell, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, without stretching the imagination too far, it would appear from this story that 
people in hell may be able to see people who have gone to heaven. We know the story was told before Jesus died on Calvary and rose from the grave, so perhaps the setting is different now, but if this much is true, part of the torment of eternity in hell will be seeing people for eternity in heaven, knowing you will never step foot there. And then there is your memory. The rich man did not need name tags to know who Lazarus and Abraham were. He called them both by name. He even called Abraham Father Abraham, indicating he was a Jew and had likely heard a sermon or two in a service or two. For all eternity, he would remember the chances he had to get right with God. All the altar calls when he could have prayed but did not. All the messages he heard preached but never responded to. In that moment, he wished he had valued his soul more than his portfolio. One last question, and it is a probing one. What do you think is the most tormenting part of hell? The rich man's soul was so tormented in the flames of hell that he begged for just a drop of water to ease just a second of the pain. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Luke 16 verse 25. Now, to be sure, there will be people in heaven who were wealthy on earth and people in hell who were poor on earth. In the New Testament, men and women of means were born again and used the riches God gave them to help disciple others to be born again. But the rich man winced at the memory of his life, which is why he ended up in hell. The Bible doesn't even hint to us that this man was evil. He may have been a philanthropist, giving millions to children's hospitals and leprosy research. But eternity was based more on what he did not do than what he did do. He did not repent of his sins and get his soul right with God. Abraham broke the sobering news for him to hear and for us to eavesdrop. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. Separation from God is what truly makes hell torment. It won't just be hell's unquenchable flames or the memory of messages preached and altars ignored. What truly makes hell torment is eternal separation from God because between heaven and hell is a great gulf fixed and there is no bridging or crossing that gulf once we have entered into eternity. Now we wrap this up. The rich man may have lived and died in extravagance, but his unsurrendered soul would spend eternity in hell simply because he did not choose to live for God. Now, many people ask the probing question, and it's understandable why they do. Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? But they may not consider that God does not send anyone to hell. Our sin does. So the more appropriate question should be, why would a just and holy God allow any of us into heaven? The answer to that question is God's amazing grace. This rich man's story has already been told, but ours has not. The rich man cannot make heaven his home, but we may because we still have today to choose to live for God. The most important decision we will make in our lives has nothing to do with the neighborhood we move into, the college we enroll in, the car we choose to drive, or even the man or woman we choose to marry. The most important, lasting decision we will ever make is to live for God. 
That decision brings the promise of abundant life here and eternal life there. There is no greater choice than to choose to live for God. So let us choose today. I will live for God. I'd like us to pray. First off, for God to help us to be ready for the day we will meet Him. And secondly, for God to help us notice people who may need our kindness, like Lazarus could have used the rich man's kindness, that we would notice them and be kind to them as God has been so very gracious and kind to us. God, I want to be ready. I don't want to miss heaven for anyone or anything. God, I pray if there's anything in my life that should not be there that would separate me from you, if there's any sin that would push you away from me, repel you from me because of how heinous and how wicked sin is, I ask you to search me and forgive me. I'm sorry for anything I've done or harbored that may separate me from you. I pray God help me to be right with you today. I'm so thankful I've been born again, so thankful you've given me the opportunity to repent and be baptized in your name and filled with your spirit. Help me to live a life that brings you glory and honor and to notice those who need kindness and need grace, to minister to them. Lord, the Lazarus is in my world. I can minister to and be a blessing to. Help me to see them, not to ignore them, but to minister to them. I ask you today for all of those who are listening that every one of us would be right with you and ready for heaven. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us another day, another chance to live our life for you, for your glory, and looking forward to the day you return. I love you, I bless you, I praise you, I worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope this episode's been a blessing to you. If you are one of our God's Word for Life teachers, thank you for investing in the lives of others. I encourage you to prayerfully consider this lesson as you get ready to teach it. God is able to move and move on the hearts of the people who hear this lesson. God is able to draw them close to him to a place of repentance or baptism or receiving the Holy Spirit. So let God use you to minister to those you will teach. Be sure to subscribe, be sure to share, and you will never have to miss an episode. We're getting ready to go into a brand new series. Excited about that. Looking forward to starting that. So be sure to subscribe, be sure to share. Also head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, that's God's Word for Life 10, you can save 10% on your entire order. Use promo code GWFL10, and it is a one-use promo code. So once you've used it, sorry, can't use it again. But if you haven't, you can save 10% off your order. Bibles, Bible studies, books, devotion, curriculum, anything at PentecostalPublishing.com. Another website to tell you about is upci.org. If you are looking for a home church who preaches this beautiful new birth message and can help you get from here to heaven, visit upci.org, click on the church search, type in your address or a zip code, and you'll find the closest United Pentecostal Church that does preach this beautiful new birth message, and you can learn how to be right with God and ready for heaven. All of that is at upci.org. Next week, we launch into a brand new series, just as promised. It is titled Portraits of Salvation, and our first episode is entitled Once Lost, Now Found. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Love that story, and looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, 
make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.